the teacher took me to the next classroom and she opened the door and called to somebody and out came a very, very sad little boy. And he was crying and he looked so scared. He looked like he thought that I was going to smack him. Frontier Missions Journal. Stories of hope for the unreached with Adventist Frontier Missions. Welcome to another episode of Frontier Missions Journal. Today, we make the journey again to the far east to the country of Turkey. We meet with Jacob and Sky Bridger, who will be giving us a deeper look on what it looks like to live and work in this foreign land. First, Sky will tell us about an example of forgiveness. But make sure to stay until the end as Jacob will follow next by telling us about the deep mindset of a Turkish Muslim and what it takes to reach them with the gospel. Now, without further ado, here is Sky Bridger. Okay, I'd like to tell you a story about my children, and I call this story a knock in the head. When we moved to Turkey, our two oldest sons, who go by Anthony and Oliver, were just six and seven years old. In the process of trying to get our residency permit, we found that we had to buy a house. And eventually we chose a house out in the village and about halfway through the first school term while we were there, we decided to put the boys in school. Well, this was a big challenge for Anthony and Oliver because they didn't really speak any Turkish besides basic greetings. And now they were thrust into a classroom with 15 students, most of them boys, and it was an environment that they were really not used to. For the first three weeks, their mom or dad attended with them, and they did a lot of adjusting. Oliver was often overwhelmed. He was just six years old at the time, and he would sometimes just have to put his hands over his ears and put his head down on the desk because there was so much noise and chaos. The teacher had a really hard time keeping control of the classroom. The boys didn't spend much time in their seats. They were quite rowdy, and every once in a while a fight would break out, and everybody would gang up on one little boy and try to beat him up. This even happened to my boys once in a while. So, this was a trial by fire. This was being thrown in the deep end of the pool. Well, one day, so I got a phone call from the teacher, and she said, I didn't understand her very well. I asked her to repeat, and she said, I just understood that something, some kind of accident had happened to my son, and that he wanted me to come. So, saying a prayer, we turned around and we went back to the school. And I climbed the steps of the school, opened the classroom door, and there, my oldest son, Anthony, was sitting in the middle of a group of kids, and one of the teachers was holding a bloody cloth on his head. 
Soon as I came in, all the students gathered around and they all started talking at once about what had happened. So they were playing on the playground and an older boy had thrown something and it hit my son right in the head. And he fainted and he was bleeding and everybody was traumatized. But when I looked at my son, he actually looked pretty happy to have all that positive attention and to have everybody concerned about him. So the teacher said to me, please take him to the doctor. And I promised I would take him to the nurse because I'm a nurse and I can usually tell if a kid needs to go to the doctor. So as we were walking out of the school, the teacher took me to the next classroom and she opened the door and called to somebody and out came a very, very sad little boy. And he was crying and he looked so scared. He looked like he thought that I was going to smack him. And he apologized. He was the boy who had thrown the, uh, it was a block of wood that he had thrown. And he apologized. And I knelt down and I said, it's okay. He's going to be just fine. Don't worry about it. So we went back down and we were getting in the car. And another group of kids came. And one of them was our neighbor who we had just known for a short time. And again, they all talked about what had happened. And then he said to us, what are you going to do about it? And I said, what do you mean? What are we going to do? He said, what are you going to do to that boy who threw that thing at your son? And I thought for a minute and then I looked at Google Translate and I said, we're going to forgive him. And this little boy's eyes got big and he said, what? You're going to forgive him? I said, yeah, we're going to forgive him. And in time, as we've lived in that village for three years, those children have come to learn that they'll always be treated fairly at our house. They'll be treated kindly. And now, most everybody's friends and they like to come over and play. And they know that they'll always have a cold drink of water and be treated kindly. 1 Corinthians 9.14 concludes, The life you live is the gospel you preach. Forgiveness is never the easiest thing, but it is the example that Christ has set for us to follow. In the end, bitterness only destroys ourselves. Cherishing it is like drinking poison, hoping the other person will die. Is there someone in your life that you need to forgive? Of course, it may be more serious than getting in the head by a piece of wood. Let Christ today give you the courage and strength. He wants to carry your burdens and take away your hatred and bitterness. Our next and final story today is told by Jacob Bridger. You might be thinking, how does a Turkish Muslim change? How do they convert or ascribe to Christianity? A country of about 90, maybe 90 million now. Many of them have never met a Christian. Many of them do not have neighbors as Christians. I'd say most of them don't. Many of them do not speak English. So 
The only thing that Turks know about Christians, generally speaking, is what they find out through media, meaning the movies, Hollywood, YouTube, things like that, or, or Facebook or whatever. And what they categorize Christians as being as they eat meat, they drink alcohol, and they, and they eat pork, and they smoke. So if this, is, if this is all they know, it's a wonderful thing when they do discover and they have a neighbor move into their village like us, and they're able to discover that we don't eat meat, we're vegetarian, this is a shocker for them. We don't drink alcohol, that's another shocker. We don't smoke, and that we, we, love, we love God. What I've just observed is that many Muslims admire very much that we come together, we read the Bible, and study, ask questions, and have a relationship with God. This is something that they don't do in their homes. If they do open the Quran and they do read, it is recitations and usually in Arabic, which they don't even understand most of the time. And so there's no questions asked. A relationship with God is more about what rules you have to follow and obeying the rules and following the yearly traditions and celebrations and whatnot. But that's the extent of that. So when they do meet Christians, they admire very much. They're drawn to it. As far as ever becoming a Christian, now this is a very difficult, difficult thing for a Turk to do. And the reason is because, number one, the culture that they live in, the culture there is a honor and shame culture. They are also uh, admonished uh, from a very young age not to ever speak to a Christian, to read Christian material, not to touch a Bible, these kinds of things. And so they don't ask questions. And most of them don't know Christians. If they were given, and one of the most difficult things for us, for us to do is to hand a book. They might take the book, but if they're good friends, they'll probably give it right back. And they'll say, well, I can't read this at home because my, of my parents or my siblings. And so that's a very difficult thing to do. To be ostracized is very easy. I've had some friends who uh, com have completely abandoned Islam who have a very, very difficult life. Some of their employers have discovered they're Christian and they've been let go from their jobs. Some parents and families have discovered and they've had to uh, leave home. And so it's very, very difficult. And so I often believe that us coming there, doing what we do, if we're discovered is often not as difficult as what they go through. Even some have, uh, are threatened with death. And so your whole family, neighborhood, friends, whatever, you're just basically ostracized. The few that we do know that have abandoned are either live in secrecy, their Christian faith, or they're, they're, they become very clingy because they want to be near other believers. And believers are scarce. Many of them just want to leave the Muslim country and go to a Western country. And so it's, it's very hard. There are so many, you know, and so few of us. How do we reach them, you, you might think, also? And the beautiful thing is that God is at work in places that, that we don't even know. In fact, we have met people who have had dreams of Jesus, dreams in where, God, where they believe God is speaking to them. And many of these sit on these dreams for years and these are seeds that are, are sprouting, and so pray for them as well. I want to, from the bottom of my heart, just say thank you. 
if you're listening and you're appreciating these stories, just know that this is, these stories are just a small, small snippet of what's really happening. And it's because of you and your prayers, your gifts that allow us to do many of the things that we do. And I'll say that the lar- one of the largest things that we do is just try to live just try to stay. Simply trying to get a visa at times is is a momentous thing. And we often pray after getting our visa, thank you, Lord, for the donors and their gifts, because without them, we couldn't have a place to live. We couldn't get our visas. We couldn't have the vehicle we're driving. We couldn't have the food that we're eating or host the meals to, to serve our friends in these locations. So once again, I just... I just thank you from the bottom of my heart for your love for us and your love for the Lord. We're united in our efforts. Know that when you're sleeping, we're working. And when we're working, you're sleeping. And uh, we just desire for Jesus to come soon. Thank you for listening to Frontier Missions Journal, where our missionaries tell you the latest stories happening in the field. If you have enjoyed and been blessed by these mission stories, please subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or the platform which you use. Please, keep the people of Turkey in your prayers, that they will sense God's love for them. Around 40% of the world still haven't heard the gospel. If you're interested in serving in these unreached places, contact us at afmonline.org. We would love to talk with you more about the possibilities. That's afmonline.org. Until our next story from the field, be God's missionary wherever you are.